0: Well, today we start a new series. We're starting the Book of Revelation. Easy book, right? No, no conflict or no misinterpretation of that book. Actually, it's probably the most difficult and least understood book of the New Testament. I have several commentaries, and uh, they all have differing opinions on that. So. I'm going to enter this series like Paul did when he was writing to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 2, 3. He says, I came to you in weakness and fear and much trembling. So that's how it's going to be. (laughs) My message and preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith may not rest on my wisdom, but on God's power. So I'm going to try my best with much prayer, help from the Lord to give us an understanding of what the book is about. Now before we start, we wanna do our due diligence on the book of Revelation. We answer the questions who, what, when, where, why. Who, well, Revelation was written by the apostle John. That's the same John who wrote the Gospel of John and the epistles, first, second, and third John. When was it written? It was written about AD 95, about 60, 62 years after uh, the death and resurrection of Christ. Where was it written? It was written on the island Of Patmos where John was exiled as a criminal and for all practical purposes this was a desolate rock of an island Uh, some call it a penal colony and right now the island of Patmos is considered currently the country of Turkey which is where he wrote it Um, why did he write it well the Roman Empire at this time was reaching its peak of greatness and prosperity and the ruler at that time was a guy named if I can get it right Domitian he had begun to initiate emperor worship. In other words, you bow down and address him as Lord and God. As you can imagine, most Christians refused to do that. And so, since they refused that, intense persecution started. And those who were reading this at this time would be encouraged because they were facing a hard situation. And, and John was writing to them to tell them, and ultimately, we win. His, uh, his exile was probably for the same reason everybody else's was being persecuted because he was preaching the gospel. What's the book about? Well, that's the 60-foot-dollar question. The overall purpose of the book was not to get deep in the woods with each individual prophecy or symbol, although we'll get to those. The book had three general purposes. The first one is, as we're going to get to later on in the series, We had letters to the churches. There were seven churches, and and John wrote a letter to each one as directed by the Holy Spirit. And these were meant to be a correction or a warning or an encouragement or rebuke to the churches that he's addressing them to because a lot of them had strayed from biblical truth. They were beginning to what we call backslide. They were doing their own thing. And these attitudes and practices had to be corrected before the rapture. Rapture happens around... Chapter four, then end of chapter three. And so John's trying to encourage them, look, if you wanna make the rapture, you need to get on board. They had to learn to face the persecution, stand for the truth, quit doing what they wanted to do, and do what God had directed them to do. Now we don't face much persecution in this country, but how many think it's coming? And it's beginning subtly with some of the things that are in the schools and some of the things that are being talked about in the news if you if you listen to the news you get really agitated and you wonder what's next well I think that I'm not sure what generation but I think that we're going to face that and John is telling these folks who are facing intense persecution stand you need to stand for it it's gonna come but you need to be encouraged by it and the same rebukes that the seven churches get also apply to us today. The second purpose of the book is meant to encourage those that were facing the persecution from Rome, encouraging them to stand strong, to strengthen their faith, strengthen their determination, and strengthen their loyalty to Jesus because bad things were happening to them at that moment. And it's easy to want to stray from that. You know, we were talking during our prayer time the other night, the vaccine, it's all in the news, right? And they're they're, you know forcing everyone to do that I don't it doesn't matter to me where you're standing on that but the way they're forcing that is the way that they're gonna force the mark and instead of doctors coming to your door it might be military coming to your door and if you're here and you're you don't make the rapture and you're here I'm going to encourage you not to take the mark because once you take the mark it's over however not taking the mark will cause you to face intense persecution your family your children will face that it's going to be a difficult choice to make and i think they're prepping everybody with this thing that's going on right now for that time so the intense persecution is going to come and he was encouraging them to stand strong in it because once the persecution's over paradise is coming but you got to endure the persecution Romans eight eighteen says Paul says I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us so whatever comes our way we need to be prepared we need to stand strong in our faith regardless of what we might face the third thing Third general purpose, it's designed to give Christians in every generation the reality of the spiritual forces of evil that exist today and their desire to destroy us. We see in full view in Revelation the spiritual battle that's going on. You have the account of the beast, the Antichrist, a false prophet, which we have called the unholy trinity. I didn't coin it that. Someone else had coined that. The spiritual warfare that's a real thing. It's orchestrated by the devil and it's happening today. Revelation just exposes it, but it's, it's ongoing today. John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. 1 Peter 5.8, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Ephesians 6.12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The battle that's happening now around us that we don't see is basically in full view in the book of Revelation. But the encouragement for the believers then and for the believers now is that through it all, in the end, we win. Jesus is the winner of the battle. I've read several commentaries that said the whole point of the book is to see that Jesus is victorious. All of it because we see in the end that Jesus is the winner. Now, it's easy to get bogged down in all the symbolism, but the main point, evil will be defeated at some point, and believers will be the winners. Now, it's tough right now when you see all that, right? You see the evil going on around us, and you wonder, when is God going to step in? How many have ever wondered that? When is, when is God going to stop this? But you know what? Revelation is when God stops it. Warren Wiersbe says, through the eyes of unbelief, Jesus and Christians are defeated. In other words, the word thinks we already lose. But through the eyes of faith, Jesus and Christians are the true winners. It may look like we're losing at this particular moment, but we see the end of the game. How many of you like to tape sports games? Steeler games or only Steeler games (laughs) you hope to watch them without knowing the score at the end right you want to watch them and be excited or not and every once in a while someone will tell you the score and you say your team wins so you know the score going in and all throughout the game no matter what happens no matter how your team goes down and gets beat up and you know they're gonna win because you know the score So it enables you to endure all the mistakes they make throughout the game. Well, that's how it's gonna be for Christians. We know who wins at the end. So it's easy to endure what's happening today because we know how it's gonna turn out. It gets difficult to wait at times and we see evil seemingly winning. But Peter Marshall has a quote that I found. It says, it's better to fail at a cause that will ultimately succeed than to succeed at a cause that will ultimately fail. The enemy right now is succeeding at a cause that's ultimately gonna fail. The Bible says he has power right now. He's the prince of the power of the air. So he he has some limited authority on earth. He has some limited power on earth. And he is succeeding at times when we see the news, we know he's winning at points. But we know that he's ultimately gonna fail. But Christians, we may fail at some point, we may see evil winning, but we know that we're ultimately gonna win in the end. Revelation is a book of victory and believers are the overcomers. So let's start. Revelation chapter one, verse one. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. Now the word revelation is from the word apocalypsis, which means an unveiling or revealing pulling away the curtain and the book is an unveiling or revealing Jesus Christ about himself to us and notice it's actually a revelation that God the Father gives to Jesus the Son so he can reveal it through the Holy Spirit to John and then subsequently John reveals it to the churches you have all the Trinity involved in the revelation of Jesus Christ next part says which must take place soon well soon implies a future it's not happening at this moment it's going to be a future event but when in the future there's five views of when this is supposed to happen I'm not going to go into detail about each of them but I'll tell you just a one sentence and I'll tell you what I think the Bible teaches what the assembly of the God believes as well there's five different views that people take on which soon must take place. When is soon? Is it now, is it later, when is it? Well, the first one is the preterist view. And they believe that the events have already taken place during the Roman persecution in 70 AD when the temple fell. They believe that all this stuff that we're reading in Revelation happened at that point and it's done. We don't, we don't buy that. The historist view, if I can get that word right. These believe that the events have happened from the writing of the book until today, so since Revelation was written all the way through today and all the way through to the end, these events are continuing to take place. The idealist view is they they regard this book as containing certain timeless spiritual principles about good and evil throughout history, but not having any historical event. In other words, it's symbolism, it's all symbol of what's been going on since the beginning of time. The prophetist view. They treat this like some of the Old Testament prophecies that had two applications, one for current time and one for future times. If you read through Isaiah and some of the bigger prophets, you'll see him them prophesying about something that's going to take place at you know in their time, as well as something that's going to take place in the future. Isaiah's revelation, Isaiah 53, talking about Christ. Isaiah, you know, some people believe it was for Isaiah the prophet. Some people believe it was for Jesus. We believe it was for Jesus, but it could have applied to both. So. They believe that the things that Revelation talks about happened then during 70 AD and they're also happening at a future date. The futurist view. This is what I believe the Bible teaches and this is what the Assemblies of God b- believes. And which, by the way, just because I'm telling you this and just because you think the a- Assembly of God believes it doesn't mean you're not to study it for yourself. <laughs> you should know this for yourself. They believe that all the events from chapter 4 and on are events that are going to happen in the future and will happen over a definite seven-year period of time. And this is going to happen after the rapture, after the church is gone. At the end of chapter 3, when he addresses all the churches, he gives them their correction and rebukes. At the end of chapter 3, we believe that's when the rapture takes place because at that point, the church is not mentioned anymore in Revelation. We're gone. We're gone. So if you're a Christian, you're gonna make the rapture, you're not going to go through this. We believe in the pre-tribulation rapture. So in this verse, soon means at any time in the future. It could mean today, it could mean tomorrow. Revelation 3.11, in addressing one of the churches, Jesus says, I am coming soon. Revelation twenty two twelve. 12, Behold, I am coming soon. Luke 12 40, You must also be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect Him. It's meant as a warning for us that we need to be ready for these events are going to happen at a particular moment in time that we don't know and we believe is imminent. There's Many scholars that believe that everything has taken place prophetically that has to take place except the rapture. That is the next thing to happen in God's timeline. That could be today. That could be tomorrow. That could be before I'm done talking. Many of you have been with us on Wednesday night when we listened to evangelist Tiff Shuttlesworth. And he says that prophecy isn't meant to scare us, but to prepare us. In other words, are you prepared for this time? As a believer, are you prepared? And as a believer, if you're prepared, then the book shouldn't scare you. However, if you're not a believer and you're not ready, I think the book should scare you into getting prepared. Verse one continues, he says, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. God the Father gave Jesus the Son the revelation, and Jesus sent an angel with that message to John. And again, this shows us the significance of angels in the worship of God. In the revelation of God's word and the execution of God's judgments, angels have a prominent role. Angels are mentioned 67 times in the book of Revelation. And all of God's people are referred to as servants. There's at least 11 times the word servant is used to describe God's people were servants John is one servant selected to pass a message on to the other servants when he he addresses these letters to the churches and it's not just the letters they get the whole book the letter to the church is about them in particular but they also get the rest of it verse 2 who testified to a servant John who testifies to everything he saw that is the word of God in the testimony of Jesus Christ. And here John is equating what he sees in the visions with the word of God. In other words, what he sees in the visions for him is exactly the same weight of authority that the word of God has. Now, at that moment all they had was the Old Testament. And he's using prophetic visions and things that people who knew the Old Testament would understand. The New Testament wasn't written yet. He's saying everything I saw in these visions is just as valid as Moses and the Ten Commandments and the Torah. So everything I'm telling you, you take with the weight that you take that when Moses came down from the mountain. The vision, in other words, is God inspired. So this book is just as valid and just as much of God's inerrant word that we need to know and we need to apply is equally as valid as John three sixteen. So when we study God's Word, how many have skipped Revelation in your study of God's Word? You shouldn't. Tiff says that a third of the entire Bible is prophecy. So when we study God's Word, we should also study Revelation. Because verse 3 tells us, Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, And blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. So if you study this, you apply it and you do it, the Bible says you will be blessed. This book, the entire book, Revelation 1 through 22, was sent to the seven churches that we're going to hear about in the near future. But the verse tells us that everyone who reads this book, but not only reads the book, does what it says will be blessed and when he's talking about does what it says that's the letters to the churches that we're going to get into because after that we're gone but for those who are not Christians but yet study this book they need to know what's coming so that when that time does come they have the ability to say no to what's there and the persecution they're going to face because ultimately, heaven is worth suffering now for. And if we're going to get into it, it's going to be the worst the worst three and a half years that this world has ever experienced. In fact, the Bible says that people will want to die, but they can't. The verse says, Blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in. In other words, it means you've got to do what it says. Not just a book about prophecy and future events. It's a practical book with moral instructions. We don't study it just to satisfy our curiosity. And we want to learn the future. We want to do all these things. The Bible says we need to learn from it and do what it says. The study of this book should have practical effect on your daily lives and your daily priorities in life. In other words, since you see what's coming down the pike, you need to make sure that your lives line up to what God says about you're gonna make it or not. We've been, and I've been watching some videos on, how many have heard the term eternal security? And there's, eternal security is is, is a teaching that believes that once you give your life to Christ, you're in no matter what. You can live how you want, but you're gonna, you're gonna make the rapture. You're gonna make it heaven. We don't believe that. We believe the Bible teaches that once you get saved, you now have to continue on. It's called perseverance of the saints. You just can't say a prayer one time and then live like you want and expect to make heaven. It means once you say that prayer, it's the beginning. When a baby's born, it's just the beginning. If you leave that baby by himself and let him do whatever he wants, what happens? If you don't help him and feed him they die and if they get to be an old enough that they can feed themselves and you still don't watch them and prepare them and get them ready for adulthood they'll go crazy right you gotta kind of mold them you know use their powers for good we have to continue to grow continue to learn and continue to make sure that we are in and doing what God wants us to do And this this book should get your attention and make you ready for that day. Every once in a while, I remember when I first got saved, we were in a, in a store somewhere. It was just Anna and I. And I turned my back and I turned around and she's gone. I'm thinking, rapture. And I didn't make it. And every once in a while, I walk in the house and usually Anna's sitting on the couch when I get home or and she has her books and stuff out. And I walk in and the books will be there and she'll be gone. I'm thinking, rapture, I didn't make it. (laughs) But that's kind of how you gotta think. You gotta be sure that you're gonna make it. If God says we'll be blessed by reading and studying and understanding, then we need to do just that. Remember the scenario when it was happening when the book was written. Christians were facing intense persecution and they needed to be encouraged. They needed to know that in the end they're gonna win. Even though they're going through hard times, they're gonna win. And this book is designed to give them and to give us strength and hope. It also made them examine their lives to be sure they were living right. The Bible tells us examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. In other words, don't just think that you are examine how you live as Christians directed by the Holy Spirit we should have we should live a certain way we should continue to grow and continue to put things out of our life that we know are sinful add things to our life that we know are spiritual and we continue to grow and mature if you look at your life and you realize you know what I'm doing the same dumb things I did before I got saved that I'm doing now and there's no change in your life. The Bible says, you need to make sure you're really saved. You need to make sure. Because if you're not living, you're doing everything wrong, you need to make sure you're, you're really, really saved. The blessing would come not just from hearing the word, but from doing what it says. James 1.2 says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Every time you hear a sermon, the Bible says, okay, you've heard it. Now you've got to do it. So now we start the vision. In verse 4, it's formatted like a dictation, like, you know, at least in the NIV. And you have, you know, John, comma, like a letter. To the seven churches in the province of Asia. Now, all these seven churches were situated in the province of Rome. And they were under Roman rule, and therefore they were all facing various types of Roman persecution. And each, each church was in a different province, different area. And so these letters were going from one church. They were making the rounds. It wasn't, they were, you know, weren't going to seven different churches. They were one letter going to each of the seven churches. And you think about why were there only seven? There's got to be more than seven churches at the time. Well, it's presumed that these letters would make their rounds not only to the seven churches, but every church would get a copy of these letters and they believe that these letters are also addressing every type of church in any era so the church in Ephesus back then there's churches today like the church in Ephesus there are churches today like the church in Smyrna there's churches today like the church in Pergamum Thyatira Sars Philadelphia Laodicea all those types that were back then also exist today and we have to examine to see where we are. Are we the church of Ephesus? Are we the church in Laodicea? Where are we? So this letter is relevant to any era, any time frame. Every church, including us, we have to examine ourselves to see what, which of these seven churches we would fall under the category of. And after we figure that out, then we need to read that letter and do what that letter says so that we can be overcomers. If we determine that we are the church in Ephesus, for example, then what does Jesus say to them? What are they supposed to do? Well, guess what? That's what we're supposed to do. I don't, you know, we're not the church in Laodicea, but there are churches like that. They've totally walked away from God. The Bible says you need to go back around. And we'll see the number seven is also the number of completion and is used several times in Revelation. The order of the churches seemed to be derived from simply how they were situated on a travel map. I asked Brad to put up a map for us. If you see, it starts at Ephesus and it works its way around. That was the, the main travel route. So the way the letters are addressed is how the letters would kind of just make its way from one church to the next. So it was, wasn't anything in particular other than the travel route. He wrote the Ephesus church first because they were the first church to come on, they, they would come along the main route. Now, in Revelation 1, verse 4, it says, Grace and peace to you from him who is, who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, first born from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Now, the first part, the grace and peace to you, that's simply a standard greeting that you read in a lot of Paul's writings. Ephesians 1, 2 says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father. Colossians 1, 2, Grace and peace to you from God our Father. And then going back to Revelation, grace and peace to you from him who is, who was, and who is to come. That's God the Father. And from the seven spirits before the throne, that means completeness and perfection of the Holy Spirit's work in the church and in the world. And then from Jesus Christ, who is a faithful witness, or firstborn from the dead and ruler of the kings of the earth, that's the Son. Again, so it's grace and peace to the churches from three, the three members of the Trinity. And because he mentioned the seven Spirits, again, the number of completeness is seven, and the Holy Spirit had begun work in each of the seven churches. So they were, they were all believers at some point because the Holy Spirit was there. And they're in various uh, states of spiritual walking and they need to be corrected. Then comes the dedication to whom the book is dedicated. Verse 5 says... Dedicated to him who loves us and has freed us from the sins by his blood, and has made us a, to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. In other words, it's dedicated only to Jesus. You're struggling with hardships? Sometimes you need to be reminded that Jesus loves you. How do we know? When you're struggling and you feel like God's a million miles away from you, what's the one thing you need to know? Jesus loves you. The Bible says, I'll never leave you, never forsake you. Doesn't mean we don't leave him and forsake him. But just like a parent, parents parent's always there. You look at the prodigal son, the prodigal son left, but the dad kept watching for him. God's watching for you. If you're a prodigal, he want, he want you to return. The number one thing you need to know when you're hurting is Jesus loves you. How do we know that? Because he died. I mean, what else could he do to prove that he loves you? And the Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5.8. So it's not only that God loves you now that you're a Christian, God loved you enough that when you hated God, God still loved you, and died for you. And the truth of the matter is, if you were the only person that needed to be saved, Jesus still would have died for you. It was great that Jesus died for everybody, but more importantly, Jesus died for you, specifically. He had you in mind when he died. After we become Christians, Jesus makes us priests that will serve and be with God forever and ever. You look at the Old Testament when Aaron was the first high priest that was his job to serve God. And now we are all priests. We can all enter into God's presence. The high priest was the only guy allowed to go into God's presence and that was one time a year. Nobody else was allowed to go in. In fact, if you went in you were struck down dead. And when Aaron or the high priest went in they used to tie pomegranates and bells to the bottom of his robe. Because as long as the people outside heard the bells and pomegranates banging, they knew the priest was alive. But if they stopped hearing that, they had a rope tied to his foot. that They could drag him out because he would be killed in front of God's presence if he wasn't right. But when Jesus died, the Bible says what happened. He tore the veil from top to bottom that exposed now the Holy of Holies, now everyone can enter. Everyone is a high priest. Everyone can come to God's throne individually. There's a lot of people that think you you can pray to other people to intercede for you. The Bible says you have one, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. In other words, Jesus is the only mediator you have. Bless you. Don't hold it in. Just... You have one mediator, one person that stands between you and God. And the Bible says he ever intercedes for you. How many of when you pray, sometimes pray in the spirit? You know what you know what that is? That's praying, that the spirit's praying for something that you don't know how to pray. And the Bible says that, you know, sometimes in Romans 8, if you you just you groan. The Holy Spirit groans through you because he's praying something that you don't really know how to pray for. You don't have to go to a high priest and have him pray for you. Not only can you pray for you, but the Holy Spirit is praying for you. Jesus is interceding for you. Because of that, we now have direct access to God. The Bible says in Hebrews, we can therefore approach the throne of God with boldness. Not arrogance, but we can go confidently to God knowing that God hears us. Verse seven says, Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be, amen. As we mentioned, the primary purpose of the book is to describe the ultimate triumph of God's kingdom and purposes when Christ returns to defeat all evil and established his kingdom." Now, this verse talks about his return at the end of the tribulation, at the seven years. It's just not talking about the rapture because the rapture is going to be in secret and the only people that are gonna know that are the believers. First John 3 says, "'The, world, the reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. "'Dear friends, now we are children of God, "'and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That means believers will see his return. Unbelievers, no, we'll just be gone. Thanos, who watched the Marvel movies? Come on, you're all laughing. That's what it's gonna be like. It's gonna be a snap, a trumpet sound, trumpet call of God, and all of a sudden, poof. We're gone. But this verse is at the end of the seven years and the people who see this return when he actually sets foot on the earth, the Bible says they're gonna mourn because of it. Because they're the ones who are gonna face his ultimate judgment. What's it say? All the peoples of the earth, because that's all who's gonna be left, people are unbelievers because all the Christians at that point will either be gone raptured or, mar- or martyred. So all the peoples of the earth will mourn. One version says they will cry out because of it and because they know that the ultimate judgment is coming at that point. The book reveals that history will end in defeat and destruction and judgment of all evil. You wanna know when God's gonna step in and stop it? That's when it's gonna happen. Satan's systems and all those who fail to believe will be judged now we don't say that with with joy the Bible says that God takes no pleasure in the death of the the wicked we know that the enemy is going to be defeated and the Bible says that hell wasn't made for people how many know that hell was made strictly for the devil and his angels but if we don't serve Christ we have chosen whom we will serve, the Bible says. Jesus says, you're not of your father in heaven, you're of the father of your devil, the devil. People ask the question, why does God send people to hell? Well, the truth is God doesn't send anybody to hell. People choose that themselves. If we choose in this life to live without God, God does not change our mind. God says, you can live here without God as long as you know you're going to live without God after you die. You're going to be in a place where God isn't. And I'm, I'm not choosing it for you. You choose to live without me here, you can, I'm going to let you have what you want. You can live without me there. And right now, because God is here, the Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust so that you know, wicked people prosper. People have good lives here. Things are great because God's still involved. But once you take the Holy Spirit out, the church out, and once God is absent from everything, total darkness, total pain and suffering. That's what the ultimate course of serving the enemy does. The church is not going to go through these events that we're going to talk about in the weeks to come. But if the rapture happens and you don't believe or you're backslidden, you're going to go through them. And at that point, you're going to have to make a choice. You're going to remember what was preached in sermons and you're going to remember that you backslid. And hopefully, you're going to want to endure the punishment because you know what's coming at the end. You're going to either have 70 years of relative peace if you take the mark or three and a half years of pure torture in hell but you're gonna be in heaven when you die that's the choice and God has made every provision for us to avoid the coming tribulation but it's up to make the choice up to us to make the choice now Hebrews 3 7 I'll close with the scripture so as the Holy Spirit says today If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. How many have heard the term, the unpardonable sin? How many know what that is? It's not something that you do. It's something that you don't do. The Bible says that no one comes to God unless God, the Father, draws them. Before you become a Christian, the Bible says God draws you. God puts things in your life, sends people your way. He tries to get your attention. He draws you. The Spirit draws you in. Now, the Bible also says that my spirit will not always strive with men. In other words, there's going to come a point where God draws you and draws you and draws you, and you refuse, 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 and God's going to say, okay, I'm not going to draw you anymore. And at that point, you can't get saved. Because the Father is no longer drawing you. You've heard it enough and God, you know, you've heard it and heard it in years and years. And there's no point. I don't know when that point is. But you're going to be hardened to that. You're going to be hardened to every time you hear a message or a word or someone witnesses to you or shares something with you. You're going to hear it so much and reject it so much that you're not going to want to hear it anymore. A great example is Pharaoh. When it says that God hardened his heart, God didn't actually physically harden his heart. He allowed Pharaoh to do what Pharaoh was gonna do. And Pharaoh hardened his own heart because God let him do it. We're gonna come to the point if you, if you hear it and you hear it and you hear it and you reject it and you reject it and reject it, you're gonna be hardened to that. The Father's no longer gonna draw you. That is the unpardonable sin. Not that God can't forgive sin. It's that you're not letting God forgive you of sin and so therefore God stopped drawing you and now you are unable to come to know him so when this verse says today if you hear his voice do not harden your hearts our hearts have to always be open to what God is calling us to do and the minute our hearts get hard is the minute we stop listening to the voice of God and at that point unless God does something miraculous in your life you're out because you've chosen to reject what God has freely offered you every time I read this book not only do I get confused when I read it but I also get really sad and worried about the pain that's going to come upon the people that are on this earth at that point there's a lot of people we know You know, good people just don't know Christ. And we know what's coming, it should really, it should really burden us for people. The person you work with, the person you live with, the person you know, extended family, probably good people. And they will go through unmentionable horror for at least seven years, if not eternity. And we need to be about God's business while we're here. Because once the church is gone, that's the major influence of the Holy Spirit in the world. People will be left to themselves. Chances are pretty good, they, they won't ever get saved. So we need to do what God wants us to do. The Bible says, while it's still day, would you stand as we close this morning? Would you bow your heads for a moment? We all, we all love to hear encouraging sermons, uplifting sermons, sermons that, from God's Word that really bless us as we walk out. You just feel great about what God's doing in your life and what God's doing in your family and those are awesome awesome words from God but there's also words in God's Word that we need to study and this is one of them it tells us of the horrors that are coming as we discussed it should it's meant to get our attention to prepare us for what is to come and to prepare us to be able to do all that we can do to make as many people that we know come to know Christ. It's not scaring us, but it is getting us prepared. So Father, I pray right now, if there's anyone here who does not know you, who's never made a commitment to Christ, never asked Christ to forgive them of their sin. You think you're a good person, you're just going to make it because you're just a nice guy, a nice girl. But you've never really repented of sin, Ask Christ to forgive you of that sin. And the Bible says you're not going to make the rapture. But if you're here and you're hearing this word, the last verse we read says, don't harden your heart. Today is the day of salvation. Nobody here is guaranteed that tomorrow. We read every day of mysterious and unexpected death. It Can happen to anybody. So we need to make preparation today If you're here this morning, you've never made that commitment, but you want to be sure. (laughs) You want to know that you can't become a part of God's family, a God's child. The Bible says, as many as confess him, those he gave the right to be called children of God. If you want to be a child of God, you want to have your sins forgiven, and you want to be assured you're going to miss all this stuff that's coming. I I want you to raise your hand. i want to pray with you this morning. I'm going to assume that all of us are committed followers of Christ. Father, we do thank you. We thank you for working in our lives to save us, to doing whatever you needed to do to get our attention so that we would come to the cross and ask for forgiveness and then allow us to live our life to honor you. And I pray as the last, these last days approach, Lord, and it could be any time, The next thing to happen, we believe, is the rapture and it could happen at any moment. Every other prophecy that you've determined in your Old Testament and new has taken place. So the next one in your timeline is the rapture. Lord, I pray that we are ready for that. I pray that we do all that we can do to make as many people make that rapture as possible. I wanna hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I pray you would fill each one. Your word tells us to continue to be filled with the Spirit. Fill each one of us with that Holy Spirit, that desire, that unction, that, that sense of urgency that we really have for the, those coming days. And I pray that you would begin reviving each one of us individually. Just revive us from the inside out. Put a burden in our heart and a revival in our spirit. And as you revive each one of us, you revive us as a church. And then revival begins and people come to know you through revival. Great multitudes of people might be saved because of what you do and because of what we're being faithful to follow you. And I pray that we would be attuned to that. That we would be really alert to what you're doing right in front of our own eyes. And that our hearts would be revived and excited and expecting that God is going to do something awesome. And as we live that every day, we believe that we will see revival. We will see excitement. We will see people come to know you. And we will see a great outpouring of your Holy Spirit in these last days. So Father, I pray your blessings upon each person here. And as we leave today, realize, Lord, that we are your servants. Still called to do your will while we're here. And we gladly do it. Because Jesus is worthy so Lord I commit each person to you you fill them you energize them you revive them and we will thank you for what you're doing in Jesus name and all of God's people said amen amen hey have a great a blessed week let me hear what God's doing in your life what God's putting in front of you testimonies of answered prayer